music in the African-American tradition is there, there are no audiences. There's this idea that everyone's a participant. And so that's why there's a lot of call and response. And, and you know, as I was hearing them talk about this, I, I like that. And that's something I love about, about uh, black history and especially about the black church. So I just want to remind us while I'm preaching, there is no audience. All right? We're all participants. And so uh, I want to hear you guys. All right? I don't want to be standing by myself up here talking like it's a monologue to the dark out there like no one's out there listening. So, all right, I was preaching at a church once out in the suburbs, and that's already given you a clue of what I'm about to say. And I preached my heart out. I think I got this once. And I, man, I, I mean, I, everything, I left it all out there. I was sweating. I was hot. And I was like, man, I got a few nods. And so um, this is why I love to be in an urban context. So um, if it's going to be a nod, be it a nod with conviction like a, you know what I mean? Or one of those real, you know? So there, there's different ways to nod. And so I, w- I want to see y'all interacting with me here today, okay? Recently, Erica and I, uh, we watched a few episodes of a show called The Carbonaro Effect. Have you seen that? Anybody seen that? So this guy's a magician who does stuff on hidden camera and totally throws people off. Because it's not just a prank, but the dude's a magician. So he really does some things that throw them off. Uh, I was watching an episode recently where he takes... Uh, like a notepad that was printed out looking like a cell phone. And uh, he got Best Buy to allow him to pretend like he was working there. And he was sitting, uh, he was standing at the cell phone area. And he was telling these guys about this new paper disposable phone that came out. And these guys are like, what? He's like, yeah. So he peeled off a page of the cell phone. He's like, hey, dial your number. There's a little chip inside and these microfiber things in the paper. And these dudes have no idea what's happening to them. They dial their phone number, and then the phone starts ringing. They're like, like what? Yeah. He's like, yeah. He turns it over. He draws a square. He's like, you got to draw a perfect square. Make sure you never pick up your pen. And inside, write down a message, and it'll be sent as a text. And the guy's like, no. He's like, yeah, try it. He do, does it. He writes a message. All of a sudden, he gets a text message, and they're like, what? He's like, you guys want something? He's like, yeah, give us some. They're super excited. And, of course, he's got someone else dialing the number, sending the text. And these guys are just thrown off. And... I, I love seeing this, this kind of stuff because people are, they have no idea it's coming. All right? We all enjoy watching it, but none of us like being punked. None of us like being punked uh, for humor, let alone being punked in all real life. It is frustrating when someone deceives you point blank and you're just like, I, didn't even, I, I, I came to you in good faith here. You ever heard the phrase, uh, pull the wool over your eyes? I was wondering where that came from, and um, I looked at a few different sources, and they all kind of agree, so I don't know if this is indeed fact, but it seems like it's, it makes sense, is that back in the, the 18th and 19th century, you might remember pictures of England and, and France where they had these massive wigs, you ever seen that? And these wigs were made out of wool, and of course, these wigs were expensive to own, and so by having a wig, it was a status marker, but of course, the bigger the wig the greater the status, and that's why we get the idea of the big wig. And so the bigger the wig, though, the more cumbersome it became, and there were times where a wig would slide and the wool would come over their eyes and block their view. And so that became an expression of when someone didn't see something clearly, when they got deceived, they got the wool pulled over their eyes. Well, none of us enjoy having that happen, and The truth of the matter is, in real life, a lot of times when we get deceived, it's because we aren't walking with discernment. 
Sometimes we just come to someone in good faith and it's just a cruel, wicked act. But other times we say, you know, why didn't I see that coming when I should have? I, I got deceived because the wool was over my eyes. When it comes to making important decisions in life, we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to start thinking that something is one thing when it really is altogether something different. And because we allowed ourselves to walk without discernment, we got deceived and didn't even see it coming. So in order to open your eyes, you've got to bow your heart. That's what we're going to look at today. Knowing God's ways comes through a prayer-filled day. All right. So, so we want to know what God's will for our life is and not become deceived with different circumstances and scenarios and opportunities. We've got to learn to live a life that's filled in prayer so that we see something and we can walk with discernment and hear God speak to us to discern truth from lie. We, we don't want to get punked in life. So today we're going to, we're going to look at this. All of us have decisions to make. You got a decision to make on your hands? Raise your hand if you got an important decision in front of you. All right? Sometimes it's job. Sometimes it's relationship. Sometimes it's school. Sometimes it's finances. You've got decisions you've got to make. And all of us feel this desire and burden to make the right decision. But a lot of times we make wrong decisions because we don't go to the right place to get the information. And the right place is God. God is the one who, who knows all things and wants to lead us in his ways. But in order to be led in his ways, we need to have a prayer-filled day. When we don't do that, we're very susceptible to being deceived. We are very susceptible to have the wool pulled over our eyes, to get punked, to be tricked. And how do I know that? Well, the Bible's filled with examples such as these. And today we're going to look at one in the book of Joshua chapter 9 where God's people should have saw something coming. They, they should have sniffed it out. But for whatever reason, they failed to pray. And because of their failure to pray, they got punked. They got deceived. And there were consequences that came because of it. But we're going to take a look at why they did this, the consequences that came, and how to avoid their situation. You guys down for that? Come on. You here? Down for that? All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 9. Joshua, chapter 9. Joshua is the fifth book of the, of the sixth book, I'm sorry, of the Bible. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, chapter 9. Joshua, chapter 9. I'm going to read the first section of this text, and we're going to read some of it together. Um, if you're able to, and if you're, if you're able to, would you please rise to your feet, and let's read Joshua 9. This is God's word for us. This is what he wants us to hear. This is a situation he places in front of us. I'll start reading, and about halfway through, I'll ask you to join with me, all right? Chapter 9, verse 1 says, As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country... And in the lowland and all, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Verse 3, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, 
They, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out parched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, Why, uh, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Verse 7 says, But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? In verse 8, Then Joshua said, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? Let's read their response, verses 9 through 15 together here. The text talks about, starts out saying that these various nations, these Jebusites and Hivites and Canaanites and Perizzites and all these ites came up against God's people. And the reason is, in the previous chapters, as we saw last week, God's people made a fatal error. God had told them to destroy the city of Jericho and not take any of the provisions for themselves. A man named Achan disobeyed. They went in to attack the next city. They lost a battle. And God had to purge Achan and his evil from their midst. And finally, did, God did give them the city of Ai, city of Ai. But what we see is that Israel's failure emboldened their enemies. We see that the failure of God's people caused those who are against them, their adversaries, to become bold and come together and prepare to fight against God's people. All except for one nation, a people called the Gibeonites. They were among the people known as the Hivites. I know this is a lot. This is not, this is not common lingo for us. The Gibeonites are significant, though, because look at chapter 10, verse 2. We'll just peek over to the next chapter. This is speaking of another king, and this is what he thought of the Gibeonites. This king feared them greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I, and all its men were warriors. The people of Gibeon were a mighty people, warriors, who lived in a city. But rather than teaming up with these other nations to fight against God's people, they knew something that the other nations didn't realize. And what they knew was this that no matter how hard they fought, they could not stand against God. That's what they learned. The the Gibeonites recognized no matter what they did, they could not be victorious against God's people when God's people were in alignment with God and his will. Apart from God, they were just a really motivated peasant army without a fighter's chance. With God, they were undefeatable. And the Gibeonites looked at them and said, man, we can't, we can't fight them. And as the old adage goes, if you can't beat them, join them. But they realized we can't just join them flat out because they'll know we're from the land of Canaan. So we got to deceive them. We, we've got to trick them into making a covenant of peace with us. And how did they do it? Well, they said, hey, here we go. We got wineskins that, that are going to look very old. We're going to take crumbly bread to give the appearance of us having been gone a long time. We're going to bring clothes that are tore up from the floor up, and they're going to go to Israel and say, look, when we left, these clothes were fresh. When we left, 
These sandals were on point. When we left, these wineskins were brand new. When we left, this bread was still hot. And now look at us. We're a hot mess. And so what they wanted to do was to give the appearance of having come from a very, very, very long way. And so they come and say, hey, make a covenant with us. A covenant is a contractual agreement. It, it, is, it is an alliance that you make that is binding. It cannot be broken. And if it is broken, especially from Israel's standpoint, they recognize that their God takes promises seriously. Israel can never take a promise and break it without expecting God to intervene and discipline them. So a covenant is not a small deal. And somehow the Gibeonites recognize that. They ask them to make a covenant with them. And look what Israel says in verse 7. It says, perhaps you live among us. Perhaps you're one of us. That word perhaps lacks certainty, doesn't it? It's an idea but it lacks certainty. And what Israel ought to have done at this point was to find out so that they could no longer say perhaps, but they can say we know you don't live among us. The truth of the matter is God's people says that they're in the place called Gilgal, which is 20 miles away from, from Gibeon. That's not very far. In fact, the city of Ai that Israel had just defeated was only 10 miles away. So by all measurements, the people of Gibeon did live amongst the land that God had promised Israel. The people asked the right question, perhaps you live among us. They smelled something fishy, undoubtedly. They, they realized, okay, where are you coming from? Like, really? Are, are, you, are you really trying to make a covenant with us? Why, why are you doing that? They said, perhaps you live among us. How can we make a covenant with you? That, that word, how can we make, is, is not of how, to, how are we able to do it, but, but should we do it? It's not a matter of capability, but one of possibility. Yeah, we're capable to make a covenant, but should we? It it reminds me of when Joseph is standing in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife pursues Joseph and says to lay with her. And Joseph says, how can I sin against my Lord? It's not a question of, is he able to? Yes, he could do it, but should he? And of course, for him, the answer was, of course not. And here the people of Israel are looking at them like, something smells fishy. I don't know if we should do this. And then Joshua speaks up in verse 8. He says, we're your servants. This is a, this is a way of peace. And hey, look, look, it's good here. Let's, let's, let's have a discussion. We are your servants. And then Joshua asks them two questions that are of utmost importance. The first one is this. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, who are you? And secondly, where do you come from? The answer to those two questions Make this decision altogether easy. Should we make a covenant with you? Well, you, the answer to who are you is one of the people of Canaan. The answer is no. If the question of where are you from is, well, just down the block, the answer is no. And so now Joshua asks these two questions, and the people of Gibeon now give a response. They tell them there in verse 9, we come from a very distant country. As we read together here, you see that they talk about where they came, how they heard a report of how God defeated Egypt and the other armies. They, they talked about how their, their leaders heard about it and sent them away with bread. But notice one thing they don't say is who they are or where they're from. 
from a very distant country is not an answer. That's actually a runaround. But they give a very long description here, and it seems that Joshua's questions get lost in the mess of the conversation, and they never get around to answering it. And perhaps the most grimmest moment of this story is in verse 14. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions. They they inspect their bread. They inspect their sandals. They they inspect the wineskins. But what they did not do in verse 14, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. Why? We're not given a clear answer here. But let me ask you, why do you ever make decisions without asking God first? I think we can give a host of answers. Sometimes we don't want God's answer. Because we know he's going to tell us to do what we don't want us want to do. Sometimes it's pride because we think we know the right answer because we're very self-focused. Sometimes we're afraid because then we got to do something that he tells us to do. Sometimes we're just lazy. And sometimes we're just impatient because we think sometimes I've got to ask God and I don't know how long it's going to take for him to reply. So let me just go with what seems best. Rationalization is never a replacement for prayer. Here God's people made a mistake. It says that they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Literally, it is the mouth of the Lord they did not ask. Well, what this gives us the image is that God wants to open his lips and speak into the circumstances and situations of our, of our lives. But when we don't ask of God's mouth, we don't hear of his words. Sometimes we don't ask because we run off of yesterday's victories. It's interesting. Joshua was known to be one who went into the prayer room with Moses. And when Moses left the the tabernacle, uh, Exodus 32 tells us that that Joshua lingered there longer. Joshua was a man of prayer, but for some reason he didn't pray here. And I think that sometimes in our own lives, we we think, well, I, I was faithful in the past, and you live off of yesterday's prayers as if that's sufficient for today. That's why Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. We don't want yesterday. We need food today, Lord. In the same way, that's how our prayer life needs to be. We can't say, you know, I had a real good January, and so I'm going to take off in, in March. See, prayer is vital to our lives, vital to decision-making. Prayer acknowledges that God has an opinion on the matter. And I know that's humanly speaking there. But, but God has an opinion on the matter. God knows something as well. Prayer says, God, you know something I don't know. And that might seem very obvious, but again, if God knows something we don't know, why don't we talk to him about it? God knows something. He knows scenarios. I love to just sit down sometimes and just think about this, and it'll, it'll blow your mind up. So let me, let me plant a seed and so you can have a ex- mind-blowing experience later on. God knows the past perfectly. God knows the present perfectly. And God knows the future perfectly, and God knows all potential future scenarios perfectly. God knows the difference if you leave for work 10 minutes late or if you leave 10 minutes early. He knows what will happen when you come to that light 
10 minutes early as opposed to coming to that light 10 minutes late. He knows the difference of who you'll, uh, who you'll meet when you walk into school, when you walk into your workplace, the conversations you have that would differ depending on when you leave the house. God knows the future and every possible scenario perfectly. God knows scenarios perfectly. He knows people perfectly. God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. God tells Job, do you know the measurements of the earth? The depths of the sea? He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. God said, I I got a ruler long enough. My tape measure can, can go into the ocean. I know what's beneath the sea. In the crevices, people have never even seen. This is why Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Romans 11. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. And then Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him belong all things, Paul says. Is this God that wants you to ask of his counsel? He's got an opinion. Wouldn't we be wise to ask the mouth of the Lord to speak into the decisions we've got to make? But you know, sometimes it's not just asking God, because a lot of times we'll pray and say, God, I need help with this. But the other times it's listening to what he tells you then. It's, it's saying, God, I, I want to hear what you've got to tell me. Some of you here are consultants at work. Maybe you do consulting as a living, and people pay you for your opinion because your opinion is based on knowledge and experience. We don't, we don't pay people for their opinion in areas they know nothing about. That's a waste of time. We, we, we have to waste the money. We want to know what the experts have to say. This is what makes YouTube so good. You don't know how to do it? YouTube it. And you don't like that video? Look at the other 30, right? This is, this is how. And you think, wouldn't it be great if God had a YouTube channel? Yeah. You, you imagine God get up there and say, you know what? Let me tell you the story of this man named Joseph. He was in a situation like that once. Or, or God said, you know what? Let me, let me tell you the story how, how, how to walk with joy. You know, in my presence, there's fullness of joy. God on his YouTube channel will probably say, you want to live wisely? We'll be filled with the Spirit. And these sound awfully familiar, don't they? Because God does have a YouTube channel. It's called the Bible. And he's spoken to us. See, we we consult God because he is an expert in the past, in the present, in the future. God knows all things. His opinion isn't just flowery wishes and ideas, but it is based on truth and knowledge. Our emotions will lie to us, but the truth always tells the truth. This is what God does. And here Joshua is standing in a life-altering moment. And that word, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. What decisions you got to make today? 
What, what decisions are in front of you? You knocking? Are you knocking? Lord, I need, your, I need your wisdom here, God. God, I don't know what to do with this situation. Are you knocking? Are you listening? Eric and I had the privilege of speaking with our youth a couple of weeks ago. Man, what a, what a great time we had, honestly. Just the, the, the transparent and sincere questions. And, and one of the thoughts that came up, and I know we often ask this, or sometimes we don't ask it because we, we don't want to be embarrassed by it, but I love how the youth, they're okay to ask a question like, man, I really wish God would speak to me. I, I really wish I could hear him. If I heard him tell me, then surely I'd know what to do. And, and what a joy it was to tell them what God is talking to you. God does speak. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Because when his word abides in your heart, then your heart will be aligned with his will. This is what Jesus is telling us. Furthermore, the scripture tells us when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us. Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit helps you remember then what's in the word as it abides in your heart. And the Spirit will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. Furthermore, Jesus, Paul says that the Spirit is the one who will help us walk carefully in our day. And then Jesus says in John 16, 14, that the Spirit will glorify me. So that as you make decisions, if, it's, if the answer or what you're trying to do does not glorify God, it is not from God. And so this is how the Spirit helps us in prayer. He never contradicts His Word because He authored it. If you're hearing a voice and it's telling you to do one thing and the Bible contradicts it, you're hearing a voice that's not from the Lord. This is what prayer does. It, it aligns our heart with the heart of God. We, we can hear His heartbeat so we can love His will and know His will and love His ways and walk in them. You've seen those newspaper clippings, love is, love is a cup of coffee in the morning, or love is sharing everything. Uh, we, we should start a prayer is kind of thing. We talk about this, that prayer is powerful. Why? Because the God to whom we pray is powerful. We talk about how prayer is the starting point, not the last resort. We talk about prayer is the battle plan, not the bailout plan. You don't want to find yourself having made a life-altering decision or an important decision and wishing you had asked God first. You don't want to find yourself saying, God, fix the bad choice I just made. I've been there before. I'm sure you have too. And it's not fun. And you're wishing in your heart, like, God, I just wish I would have listened closely before I made the decision. What decision have you got to make? Because ultimately, prayer is entrusting our ask into the all-knowing will of God. That's a good place to be. Clearly, Joshua didn't do that. He did not ask counsel from the Lord. He, He didn't seek the word from God's mouth. What Joshua should have done was stop and pray. What you and I ought to do is stop and pray. You know, sometimes people ask, well, how then do I pray in these situations? 
I, I want to give you a, a, a model for prayer, just briefly. And we'll move on to the rest of the text here. Um, this is a great time. If you, if you, got, you got your phone, you pull them out, take notes here. You got a piece of paper, you write them out. Yeah, it'd be, be great if you're taking notes already. It helps with memory. It helps with remembering what, what God is saying. But, but there are four letters that someone taught me when I was young that helps guide our prayer lives. Something that Joshua should have done. And it's the letters A-C-T-S, Acts. A-C-T-S. Some of you may have heard of this, and some of you might need to be reminded of it. The letter A stands for the word adoration. This is a great way to start off our prayers. You say, I don't, I don't know how to pray. Well, we'll start out adoring God. Saying, God, there's no one like you. We sing this. this is, God, there's no one like God. You are awesome, and I acknowledge that today. God, no other God is able to satisfy like you satisfy. And you just go on to remember who God is and what he's done. You're, you're adoring. You're starting off adoration. And the beautiful thing is, is that what it does, it takes your focus off of you and puts it on God. The letter C stands for confession. Because when we look at God and his awesomeness and his holiness and his glory and his beauty, we start realizing we're quite small. We, we start seeing our own flaws. And so that should lead us into confession. We're saying, God, I confess my utter need for you. I confess my greed, God, my lust, my fear. God, I, I, I confess the way I live entitled. God, forgive me of my sins, God. No, don't let me walk in this path of destruction. That's confession. The T stands for thanksgiving because all prayers ultimately need to bring us back to a, a heart of thankfulness, meeting me where I'm at. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me hope through Jesus. And then the S stands for supplication. That's a, that's a big word, supplication. In the Old Testament, it's often used as plea or request. In the New Testament, you'll see the word supplication always paired up with the word pray. Because supplication is an expression of our need. To God, I need you to intervene in some way. It's acknowledging that I lack. And so a prayer of supplication is, God, I need you to move here. Lord, Lord, I need your wisdom. I got this, this impending decision that's, that's weighing me down. God, I want to intercede for my brother or my sister. And you're, you're just, you're supplicating. You're bringing your request to God. You're petitioning God. When someone shows up at your front doorsteps and asking you to sign a petition, it's because they want to take that petition and bring it to someone who has the power and authority to execute what's written on that petition. This is precisely what prayer is. It's saying, God, I can't make this happen. I need you. So I'm petitioning to you, God, who has the power and the authority to do whatever you want. And I'm asking you. This is supplication. See, prayerlessness clouds our thinking and makes us susceptible to being deceived. And this is what happened to Joshua here. They didn't pray. They got deceived. They got punked. And they made a life-altering decision without prayer. And the reason I say life-altering is they made a covenant with them that would be binding for the rest of Israel's history. In fact, years down the road when Israel had their first king, King Saul, during his reign, he executes a number of the Gibeonites 
that they made a covenant with, and God sends a famine on his people to punish them for Saul's breaking of the covenant. This was a serious matter. And we see the seriousness of it by what happens. Look at verse 16. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. I mean, imagine how disappointing that is. I don't know if someone followed them home. I don't know when they dropped their business cards. I don't know what happened. But somehow they found out that these dudes live next door. Verse 17, and the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. And you're like, okay, what are they going to do here? What, what are they about to do? And look at John, jump down to verse 18. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against their leaders. The prayerlessness of the leaders led to a murmuring amongst the people. There was discontentment. People were disappointed because they made a bad decision that was binding. I'm not going to lie. I read this, and I was studying this at Starbucks on Wednesday. I put my pen down, like, Lord, I got to go for a prayer walk. You know, because as a leader, there is a kind of weight that, that I feel, and I know our elders feel. And when I read stuff like this, I'm like, Lord, that scares me to death. Let me never lead without prayer. But you must understand, your leaders stand on clay feet. We're not these Navy SEAL kind of Christians here. I mean, we want to honor the Lord with our lives. We want to surrender all we've got. But I've made bad decisions in life before. So what you got to do is pray for your leaders, please. First of all, pray that they would pray. Pray for God's protection. And be ride or die with them. A ride or die person says, you know what, I know you're flawed, but I got you here. We're going to lock arms. Yeah, there are kinds of failures that disqualify people from ministry. I, I, and that's, that's, that's a different thing I'm talking, that we're talking about. But look, man, we are flawed people. And so let's lock arms together. The people here murmured, and I'm sure that didn't help the leaders. I'm sure the leaders went to their prayer closets and like, God, what did we do here? The decision was made. It didn't attack them. Joshua and the leaders failed to ask counsel from the mouth of God. What's crazy is when, before Moses died, God gave Moses a requirement of Joshua. He says, take Joshua and bring him before the leadership and before the rest of the people. And when Joshua is there, I need you to tell him in front of everyone that whenever he wants to know my will, he should ask Eliezer, the priest. And Eliezer then would seek the Lord in the tabernacle and come back with an answer. Numbers 27, 21 tells us this. And he shall stand before Eliezer, the priest, who shall inquire for him. And this says, both he and all the people of Israel and the whole congregation will know what God wants him to do. Joshua knew the plan. Failed to do it. See, prayer is a privilege that God has given us. And whether it be pride, fear, arrogance, 
impatience, laziness, whatever stops you and me from praying, we got to bury that thing. Joshua had to go through Eliezer to hear God's will. But we fast forward into the New Testament. Paul says this, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 2.6, and Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. See, Jesus went on the cross, yes, to save us from our sins when we put our faith in him. Yes, to give us forgiveness. Yes, to give you a new life. Yes, to raise you to eternal life. But also, yes, so you can talk to God face to face. At the cross of Jesus We read in Matthew 27, 51, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom because that curtain separated God and man. And Jesus tore it and says, Now you have access to the God who knows all things. And this God delights in you coming to him for prayer. So let's not find ourselves Staring decisions down and not saying, God, what do you think about the situation? Now, what are those decisions where you just ain't got time? You've had those before. I'm not talking about the car dealership where it's like, if you leave, you're going to lose this deal. Like, then you got to go. Okay, that, that's, that's twisting your arm. But, but there are times in life where we've got to make a decision. And it's like, I got to make a call here, God. This is why being a woman and man of God's word is essential. Because we saw that the spirit of truth will call to our mind what the word says so that in specific scenarios, God will bring his truth to bear on that circumstance. So when you got to make a decision, you know it's already being infused by God's word because you were in God's word that day. You were in God's presence in prayer. You've been praying without ceasing. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to wander. And he surely doesn't want you to get pumped. In order to open your eyes, you've got to bow your heart. In order to know God's way, you've got to have a prayer-filled day. And I hope and pray that as you consider the greatness of our God this morning, the depths and the perfections of his knowledge, and the eagerness that he has to speak and open his mouth into your circumstance, that those two facts would cause your heart to want to come before him and say, Lord, what does your mouth say? Come before him in adoration, in confession, in thanksgiving, and in supplication, and say, God, all I have is yours. That's what God wants for us. Worship team, would you guys come on up? Um, I want them to begin just playing some instrumental here. This is what I want for the rest of us. Most of you raised your hand saying you have a decision to make. It might be life-altering, and it might just be important. But you've got decisions that are in front of you in the next week, month, year. 
It could be what school you're going to go to for high school, what college you're going to go to, whether to switch careers, whether to move, whether to stay, whether to spend, whether to save, whatever it is. And I want you to do this. As the worship team plays music, I, I, want, I would love for all of us to bow our hearts and pray before the Lord. Just, just where you're at. A-C-T-S. I want to give you a minute to do that. Don't, don't be found making decisions without talking to God. And maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe this is your first time. And God loves and delights in someone saying, God, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but Lord, I, I, I want your help. There's a passage in the Bible where dad just says, I believe, help my unbelief. And maybe that's where you're at today. God, I, I know there's something about you, but I don't know what. Can we just take a moment just pray? And after that, we'll just we'll close in a final song. We'll have a prayer team after that who's available to pray with you more. Maybe you want to share with them what you prayed so that you can have someone else just be praying for you on this big decision. But let's take a moment. Let's bow our hearts before our God who wants to hear your words. Let's pray.